Okay. Now, when I told folks, oops, let me pray again. Lord, I pray also for the, this sermon that you would bless the words of my, my mouth, oh God. You know the meditations of my heart. I just pray, Lord, that it will, I would speak it in the way that it needs to be spoken in this moment to the people who are gathered because we want to see Jesus lifted up. Help me, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So when I was talking with a couple of people about what my next sermon would be, and it's that the means, I got asked a couple of questions, okay? So I want to clear up things from the beginning, okay? The first question I got was from one of my kids that said, you talking about money? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not talking about money. So anybody that was worried? And the other one was, am I talking about the traditional means of grace? And... While the answer can be yes, I'm not going to approach it according to, to the traditions, Lutheran, Methodist, Reformed. Um, while they inform my understanding, I'm not, I, I wasn't raised in those contexts. And so I'm going to talk about it as I know it and as I understand it. Is that okay? All right. Um, and we're going to get to things like um, the sacraments and prayer and fasting and just being the church but we'll get to those more for me in terms of methods. But the means is something I want us to think about uh, today. So I want to connect the dots on how things are relate from what we learned previously in my first two weeks, but three sermons, and how we move it to the next phase. Okie dokie. All right. Sometimes I have jokes in my own head and I have to think about whether or not I should tell them. <laughs> like, no. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, so the messages we've received from God are, uh, are from God and about mosaic and our unique ability to take our particular messages uh, to the community and enhance them in what's happening within our house, Okay. Um, so in the past, we studied uh, God is community. We talked about the depth of care and love and devotion that unites God, the parent, the son, and the spirit to be the one God. And then we talked about the fact that God created humanity in God's likeness, in that unity, and that God has called us to demonstrate uh, in the same way that care, love, and devotion that that can unite us to be a powerful force in each other's lives and in the life of the world. Um, John 4.24 says, God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I was taught by one of uh, a great uh, biblical scholar. Uh, his name was Dr. Craig Keener, or is. Um, he was over at Palmer at the time, and then he decided to leave us. But um, he wrote the NIV, um, I mean, yeah, the, the NIF, New Testament Commentary. And some folks may have that one. So, and this man was very impressive, I got to tell you. He's the kind of guy that, you know, he reads a book, and you know how you have the footnotes and you might look at them? He read the books that the footnotes mentioned so he could fully understand. I'm, I kid you not. He could fully understand what the person was talking about, so he used the quote correctly, which amazed me. He was just a wealth of knowledge. 
So he says this, and I respect it. When we look at uh, John 4:24, the focus is on the spirit and on truth as a matter of prophecy, prophetic worship. Uh, he compared it to when the prophets came down uh, playing horns and things. That this was this celebration of worship. All right, but you know, always have a twist. So I want you to consider something. Not that I'm putting myself up there with Dr. Keener, but then I go, why not? Because he says, out of the mouths of babes, you'll have perfect truth, right? And so, and I listen to kids, that's for sure. So, so, how about from the perspective, how about looking at it from the perspective of who God is and who we are? The unity that is God is spirit. And those who worship God must have the same unity or spirit and be committed to truth. Does that make sense? That unity, that unity. Um, so that moves us into the next thing. God created humanity to reflect God's image and likeness. Thus, humanity is to be united in the same depth of care, love, devotion. We discussed and asked, uh, asked you to consider defining death the last time we were here. And I defined it as separation, you remember? I explained that um, I explained that that what death looks like. It's hiding. It's fear of being truly seen and known by God and by other people. It's blame. It's shame, uh, and it, you know this fear of being known by the one who should truly know us, God. So instead of the fall, I call it the separation because I think it's more descriptive of what happened. We weren't standing on a hill and fell off. Yes, we were the highest order of creation, but we remained the highest order of creation. But we were separated, separated from God who created us and separated from one another. Um, and then God acted to sustain life because that separation is death. That, that separation is death. And then the body died years later. But separation in this world feels like it. Being isolated and truly alone feels in some ways like dying. Being misunderstood, not finding a community that knows you, that loves you, that'll support you, that'll pray for you. You're alone in your efforts and you're trying to live this life that, that, that you think and you feel is the best choice for you and your family. You're trying to make decisions that give life and give support and give value, right? But when you're cut off from other people, can't do it. Because we were created to do it within the context of community, of one another. We need each other. And God has chosen to need us. And then we talked about the message of God's mission to humanity. He told us to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Reign as good overseers. I couldn't think of another word. I don't like that word, but I couldn't think of another word. Bring life and don't deal in that which separates or leads to death. Now, some can say humanity's already done that. Look at the buildings and the cities we've created. We have ships that fly in the air and ships that stay under the water and they can stay there for months, right? We split the atom. Science is doing phenomenal things with, 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 I'm okay with STEM research, some people aren't, but science is doing incredible things, you know? And, and it's amazing to me. And yet, we choose to take our great in inventions and innovations, just had an innovation thing here, 
And deal, instead of bringing life, we do the things that deal in death. It wasn't the fullness of God's intent for us to build incredible cities and displace the animal kingdom. That wasn't God's intent. It wasn't intent for a raccoon to be in your trash. <laughs> Hello? And that possum that scares the mess out of you, that wasn't his intention. It wasn't God's intention for us to take all our vehicles and weaponize them so that they become, they, instead of being vehicles that move us to community, they become vehicles that are used to separate us further. It was not God's intention to split that atom and make bombs that can destroy cities in a matter of seconds. All of them, in and of themselves, are valuable, but being used in negative ways. This is what it means to have the knowledge of good and evil. We can do good, but we twist it, take it and misplace it, bend it out of shape so it no longer looks like the valuable thing, the helpful thing, the thing that brings my community together, the thing that helps you fall in love with me and me fall in love with you. It stops being those things and becomes things that are destructive. And I start thinking about the other in terms of the destruction and not their likeness of God and their likeness of me. I no longer see their reflection in my eye, and I no longer see myself when I look at you or I look at them. They become other. They become thing. They become something that I want to push off and push away, that we have to defeat, and we sing victory songs over, not recognizing that it is a, what the songs can be also are lamentations and mourning because the human community has fallen apart instead of being brought together. Yes, we may have had to fight, but we celebrate the day when we no longer have to, when our arms are beaten down, you know, the, the, share, the plowshares. We want that. We have to strive for that. We have to remember. And so I've been talking about these things to help us remember that this is the foundation. This is who we are. We have to know it because, you know, we mentally assent to many things, right? Know a lot. But what we actually believe, we live. We live what we believe. And so if we ever want to check ourselves, you can just check the activities we've been participating in, the thoughts that we've been thinking. Do they bring life? Or are we participating in death? Can we get out of that struggle? I don't know how to leave capitalism. Sometimes I don't want to. But when I see that it requires poverty, I want to get out. But what I can do is try to find ways to overcome and help people in the midst of that. So even in the midst of a death-dealing system, I can bring pockets of life because I celebrate the breaking in of God's kingdom in the earth. Amen? Amen. All right. So... We need to talk about the means. How can you and I more consistently live in a way that demonstrates our likeness of God? This is what I mean when I say means. 
What means do we have to be more consistent in demonstrating God's likeness? Or has God left us ever to struggle? What's your answer? Has God left us ever to struggle? You can say your answer. I think it's no. But when you give that answer, can you explain why? Think about it real quick. So here's my answer. Very simple. Alone is still not good. Alone is still not good. God walked with humanity in the cool of the day in the garden. That was in Genesis 3.8. God allows and intends to be with humanity and be involved in our decisions. God didn't intend to take over, but God wanted to be with us, to guide us, to talk with us, to communicate with us in the decisions we were making about the earth. He intended to be active and he wanted to play a role. That's why in the separation he asked, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? It wasn't me. So you allowed someone else to play me in your life. I heard a man once say, if you want to understand how to use a thing, you need to ask the person who created the thing. If we want to know how to make the most of our lives, we need to ask God, who said it wasn't good to be alone and kept us company in the garden. He created a woman, yes he did, but he also was there with them. Okay, moving slowly. We know that God sustained and gave us new life in the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So let's look at Jesus. Let's look in the eyes of Jesus to find our ultimate answer. In John, the first chapter, verses 12 through 16, We have the words, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the, the right or power to become the children of God. Children not born of natural descent or of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 15. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke of, I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he has been before me. Out of his fullness, of his grace, we have received blessing upon blessing, or blessing after another. 
Relationship empowers us toward life. And God walked with them in the coolness of, they, of the day. They were his creation, giving the gift of likeness and intended, and God intended to be with them. That was a question of identity. God intended to be with them because, I don't know if you remember when I was here early September, but I said, you see your reflection. Mirrors give you a distorted image of ourselves. We're supposed to see ourselves reflected in one another's eyes and in the eyes of God. We see a perfect reflection with God. And when we live in honesty and hope and cherish one another and we're fighting for each other, we see that the good that God declared we were reflected in one another's eyes instead of the distortions that get reflected in the things that we end up honoring above people and above God and above whatever, whether it be job, work, family, some addiction that we're caught up in. like those in the garden, giving our ear to something that wants to name us and give us an identity that's contrary to what God did and what God said, who he said we are. Make sense? All right. And then he said the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's about relationship. Like in the garden. See, I love the scripture because the overarching themes in scripture are constantly repeated. That's how you know what's important. You can just split up the things that are cultural and, and for a certain period of time from the things that are eternal. You see it constantly repeated in scripture. Okay? And so we see relationship, again, repeated in scripture. In this way, God was with them in the garden. And Jesus came to be with us in the earth, repeated. This was important. He intended, always intended to live with us, to walk through life with us, not be way up, exalted, so we can't really talk to him. We live in shame and can't tell him what's, what's happening. I met with someone the other day, and I said, listen, I talk regularly with God about my junk, the stuff that is embarrassing to me. I might even start with, Lord, this is embarrassing. I have to remind myself. He knows this, right? I'm like, this is embarrassing. I know you know this. And then I proceed to talk about it. And sometimes I talk to him about stuff I'm not ready to give up. But I have to keep the communication going. So one day I'll give it up. God's influence in my life. I'm welcoming him into those ugly places instead of running and saying, when I get it cleaned up, then I'll feel like you can use me more. There's no condemnation to me. Should I sin because there's no condemnation? No, but I better not run. We don't need to run. We run to him because it is okay to say, I still need Jesus. Sometimes I think as church folk, we think we're supposed to live in such a way that we give him up. And we're supposed to do it, and we're supposed to fight, and we are gritting down and bearing down with everything we have to let go of some things that God wants to release us from. Or we're dealing with stuff because the world tells us we need to deal with it. And God wants us to deal with something else right now that is the linchpin of, of a bunch of other things falling into place. And if we could get out of guilt and if we could get out of shame, we'd learn the beauty of relationship with God who doesn't shame and has no desire for us to feel guilty. He wants us to repent, to turn and say, Lord, I'm turning. Oops, I'm turning back, Lord. I'm turning again. It's okay. It's okay. As long as you keep getting up, as long as we keep trying, it's okay. Relationship. 
the relationship that was in the garden. He said he tabernacled. I love it. He, he, he was made, the word was made flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, set up a home, a permanent residence here with you and I. And then the fullness of grace. In the fullness of grace, we receive blessing upon blessing. What is the fullness of grace? But his presence. But his presence. In the beginning was the word, right? And everything that was made was made by the word. The fullness of of all that God has for us. We are in the presence of him. In Jesus. In in the parent and in the spirit that made everything possible. Blessing upon blessing is I get to look at the Lord and I say, because I'm feeling shame, da-da-da-da. He says, well, I want you to do this. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding. I just told you I'm doing this. How do you want me to go talk to this person about the very thing that I told you I was What? <laughs> but he does. And it's in the relationship because I hear the brokenness in the person's life that makes me go, oh, I got to give this up. I got to think another way. I see what the impact is because I'm in relationship. And I don't want to let my sister, my brother, I don't want to let them down. So it makes me strive. It makes me strive. And God is right there saying, yeah, you I got you. I got you. And you're not alone. We have a high priest who feels the, 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 the illness, the infirmity. I'm a King James girl. Sometimes I can't let it go. <laughs> it's Hebrews, the fourth chapter. He feels what we go through, yet he was without sin. So I can take his righteousness, and he took my sin. And then when I talk to him, he can go, yeah, I know about that. I know about that. We're blessed with his presence that opens up the door to everything. So, so we have a promise. John 14, 15 through 18 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or comforter to be with you. No, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in the world. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I got that wrong. But you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in the world. And will be. I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. Somebody look that up for me. For he lives with you and will be in you. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> I knew something was missing. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you alone. I will come to you. Jesus goes deeper than the garden. They met up in the cool of the day. And then now God says, I will give you another comforter. The word for comforter is paraclete, one who's called alongside of another. One who's called alongside of another. Does that sound like anything? 
Mm-hmm. Spouse? Well, yeah, that woman that got created. Sounds like that, doesn't it? This is not a sermon about women in ministry or women's place and all that stuff, but... Uh, but one who comes alongside to counsel, support the one who needs it. He said, I'm going to be that for you. Wow, it was said in the Genesis, it got repeated again. All right? All right. I don't even know where we are on time. I'm sorry. Here we go. We're going into the, to, to the end. John 14, 26. Okay. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, comforter, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. God gave us this promise of the Spirit who would lead and us into all truth. The Holy Spirit is the only, only being in the earth that fulfills the Holy Spirit's job de- description completely. Try as we might to get everything ticked off, we don't. But the Holy Spirit can fulfill what the Holy Spirit has promised. Okay? So God is doing the teaching. I look like I am. Hopefully I do a good job. But in truth, it's the Spirit that teaches us. I found a scripture in 1 Peter, and I just forgot where, but in 1 Peter that says you don't need any person to teach you with the Spirit that God is giving you. Listen, when I was in high school, I, I finally heard somebody tell me about how to become a Christian, and they told me to read the book, and he gave me an old King James version of the book. And if you have ever tried to read the old King James version of the book, you know you need some dictionaries and <laughs> cultural references and everything, right? But that's all I knew, so I, I followed that. And so I needed help because, you know, I had been in churches, but we weren't stressed. Teaching wasn't something that was stressed, right? And so what I did was I would sit in the locker block at lunchtime, open up my Bible, and ask God, what does this mean? You explain it to me. How do you live that? You show me. And I'm telling you the truth. Not exaggerating because I'm a minister standing up in front of you. The Lord would answer me. I would sense it. Or in some kind of way hear it. Or the Lord would send somebody to start talking to me. And they had no idea that I had just asked God this question, and they start talking about this thing. Sometimes it entered in through science. Sometimes it entered in through English. But it entered in, and my question was answered. I want to tell you all that I had for years this question about light. And I share this for you to start asking God more and more questions. I had a question about light from the beginning, right? He said, let there be light. And I had some questions about that. And I asked God when I was a very young Christian, and I hadn't gotten the answer. So I was on the plane going to a women's conference with a girlfriend of mine, and we were talking about the things we asked God. I said, I'm still waiting for this answer, and I'm believing that God is going to answer me. So I went to a conference that had over 8,000 women in it, and the lady came out to speak, and she said, I know y'all are all excited about what the topic is, but God told me he wanted me to do something first. So can I get the mechanics to go to the light switches? Because I'm going to need all the light switches off. My girlfriend and I looked at each other like, oh, 
going to get good in here. And she started talking about light. And she answered. I literally told my girlfriend what the questions were. She answered every question and then did a demonstration with the lights in an 8,000-person theater. Don't tell me God won't hear you and answer us. I'm not special, but I am. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? He'll answer us when we pose those questions. The Holy Spirit is given to us to lead us into all truth, all of it. God doesn't want to hide anything from us. But sometimes, like me, I was too young in some cases or immature to understand the answers. So it's taken time. And I tell you to this day that the Lord will answer questions I asked him years ago, and he will remind me of when I asked the question. God is good like that. God is good like that. So we have to learn at the foot of Jesus, which is in that relationship with the Holy Spirit. I won't leave you comfortless. I'll come. And I'll come so close that I came as Jesus and I had a relationship with the people of the earth. But then... I sent my comforter so I can have this relationship become even more intimate. You see, because intimacy was broken in the garden, but Jesus, through the person of the Holy Spirit, is restoring intimacy for us. And we don't have to be ashamed. You know when it was really good with your spouse? For the married people. And the people not married, don't talk, to it. don't talk about it. You know when it was really good? No, I'm just kidding. And you could share, you felt like you could share everything and be heard. And that person understood, and there was an arm, or, you, or, or even now, you can just look at each other. Something happens in a room, and you just look at each other from across the room, and you know? That intimacy. My friend Jason loves that corny, into me, God sees. I think it's cute, too, so. But that intimacy was restored. He said also in the scripture, do not let your hearts be troubled. Does that sound familiar? Let's go back to the beginning of the 14th chapter. I want to share something that doesn't get shared too often in churches with this 14th chapter. The beginning of the 14th chapter is often called the funeral chapter. And it has nothing to do with funerals. Let me share. John 14, 1 through 3, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take or receive you to be with me, that where you are, that you also may be where I am. I'm sorry, I read, but the King James keeps trying to come through. That's why I have to pause. <laughs> Don't let your heart be troubled. At funerals, we often hear, you know, and, and it's a, something that brings comfort, so I'm not going to say it's wrong. My, uh, one of my teachers taught me this. But you always talk about how people have a mansion in heaven. I have a mansion in heaven, and I'm going to my mansion in heaven. But I started with the other scriptures because to understand what's happening in scripture, you need to look at the full context of the, of the chapter. 
And I want to start in the middle, and you can see in the middle, it's talking about the spirit. And it's talking about their present and our present. It's not talking about, in the rest of that chapter, a mansion in the sky. In my father's house are many mansions. In my father's households, why? What happened? Jesus came in tabernacle, but then he said the spirit was going to come and live in us. In my father's house, in me, and in you, and in you, and in you. In my father's house, I am a mansion because I am the temple of the Lord. In my Father's house, I dwell and have my being. In my Father's house, I have a whole family that sits before me and extends into the world. You and I are the household of God, and you are not just a room, but a mansion that hosts the spirit of the living God in our Father's house. And if it wasn't so, I wouldn't. I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. For, now that's a dative in Greek, right? And it can mean for, in, by, through. And people literally just have to decide which one it is. That's the truth. Okay? And so we decided for, because that sounds good. But I think what's more accurate is a place in you. That where I am. Because he often said, listen, y'all. To see me is to see the Father. If I dwell in you and you dwell in me, that's what that's referencing. That where I am, that's why I say we don't have a destination salvation. I don't worry about where I'm going. I know wherever God is, that's where I am. I am. I don't have to worry. And it's not life insurance. Because I already got the payment. I got every spiritual blessing that exists in the heavenlies. Everything. Because God won't withhold from us. We withhold from ourselves. But God has given us so much. And the task is learning to be community so we have access to it all. The early Christians in Acts were working on that thing. But you see, again, the person that I am, I want to do good, but there's a war going on inside of me. A war. And sometimes I win the battle, and sometimes I don't. But you know what? The war has already been won. I have that victory. So I don't have to play a shame game with God. He saw it. He knows it anyway. He knew God. no time exists for God. God always knew the junk I would do and that you would do. And God still pray, made provision for you and I. The love is real. The presence of God is real. This is the means, I mean, that we have the spirit of the living God. We do. And our task is to get to know the spirit more and more. May God bless you. Amen. Amen. May God bless you with the sermon.